three, two, one. And welcome back to the official review. I'm Mitchell Graham. And I'm Zach Brown. And welcome back. This is episode 48 of the official review. This is officially the one year anniversary of the official review. But yes, next week, not a little bit of an announcement. Next week, we will be having our celebration, basically, of our one-year anniversary. Nothing too crazy, but we do have some surprise guests, some special guests that are going to come on the show, including editor Cody making live picks with us. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about it. A, a couple other guests to talk about the MLB and to also talk about some college football with us. Um, but look, we this is episode 48. This is not episode 50, uh, 49. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Let's not belabor any longer. Let's start with the MLB like we always do, and I will hand it over to my good friend and cousin, Zach Brown. Yeah, so <clears throat> the World Series just ended. Um, the Astros won in six, like I had predicted. Um, seemed like the whole series, like the beginning of the series, it really seemed like the Phillies were going were gonna to take it. Uh, the Astros just did not look good in the first three games of that series. Even though they won one of them, they just didn't look good in those first three games. But then everything changed with that combined no-hitter. The yeah. momentum just t- totally shifted to the Astros' side, and the Phillies could never take it back. And so hats off to the Astros. They didn't cheat this time, so you can't, you know, you can hate them because they were cheaters back in 2017. Look, that was five years ago. Um, you know, I know some of the core of that team is still there, but Dusty Baker is one of the most down-to-earth honest guys in the game right and good for him for finally getting a world title um i I don't know if this means he's going to hang it up now um he's 73 Uh, he's by far the oldest manager in the game right now so we'll see what happens um i'm glad for him he's he's been chasing a world title for a long time um and so regardless of how you feel about them cheating in 2017 they didn't cheat this year they won fair and square they're a dynasty. They've made four of the last six World Series. And, you know, they're not going anywhere because, you know, even they, they've replaced Correa with another superstar. They've, they've, got a, they've got a decent farm system. They're signing free agents. So they're not going anywhere. So if you're an Astros fan, it's a good time to be an Astros fan. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just feel like the whole, the whole series really just changed um, when that happened. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I feel like that this, this, the whole World Series was all of this whole postseason was upon was based upon momentum, and and that's kind of how baseball is in general, more than any other sport, I believe, other than maybe the NCAA tournament, uh, basketball tournament, um, it's all relying upon who's hot when when it gets time for the postseason, when it gets time to get down, and those were the two hottest teams in baseball that play, played each other. Um, the Phillies came out and really laid the hammer on them when they um, dismantled McCullers uh, with his little um, like they know they tipped off pitches and stuff. I looked into that more than I've ever looked into it before, and it's actually very interesting how you can see something like that so quick um, that shows you what kind of pitch he's throwing. But I think that 
was something that got the Phillies off to a hot start, but then the Astros responded. They're a veteran team. Like you said, they've made four of the last six World Series. They were they were destined to get another one here, and I really do think that this was a a pretty dominant postseason all in all for the Houston Astros. Really only, I mean, they only lost what, two games? They lost two games. They lost two games postseason. all postseason. This team was was going to win. Good for Dusty Baker. It's crazy that he's 73 years old. This is his first World Series. But hey, he won one. Yep. All right. And uh, so to, to cap off MLB talk, uh, with the World Series being over, now uh, players can officially declare for free agency. The season officially ends the day after the uh, the day after the World Series is over. And so there's been 131 players that declared for free agency, but we're only going to talk about the top 10. Um, the top 10 most notable free agents this offseason. Uh, number one is Aaron Judge. Um, obviously, he's going to command, whoever signs him is going to command a huge contract. There's lots of speculation the judge is not going to be able to re-sign with the Yankees. Um, I kind of feel like the Yankees are going to figure out a way to keep him there. He's too much of a draw. He is the heart and soul of that team. I feel like they would be they would be they would be a massive mistake to not keep him there in New York. Um, but right now, the three projected teams that he's projected to land out number number one, the Yankees; number two, the Giants; and the number three, the Dodgers. Um, all three Isn't of those that the teams, top three for every team. Well, th- those three teams have the largest budgets. They can afford large contracts. And Aaron Judge is m- very likely going to become the highest paid player in the game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he lands. Um, like I said, there's a lot of people thinking that the Yankees are not going to spend the money on him. I think it'd be a mistake if they did that. Um, but he is going to command a lot of money. Um, the next free agent. Jacob deGrom. Uh, Jacob deGrom. Now, deGrom is, when healthy, Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. The problem is, he's not always healthy. Yeah. Not sure he's had a full healthy season, like, ever. Since his Cy Young year. Yeah, since his Cy Young year, he has not had a completely healthy season. And he's going to be 35 next year, which is crazy, because it seems like his, his career hasn't lasted that long. He kind of bloomed, he kind of blossomed late. Uh, in his career, um, but the the t- the three front runners is the Mets, Rangers, and Giants, according to CBS Sports. I've been hearing reports about him 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 having interest in Atlanta, but I don't know if Atlanta is going to be willing to spend the money on Degrom. They've got tra- someone else they need to worry about. We're traditionally more stingy a little bit when it comes to free agents, so I don't see us going after Degrom. He's going to want a lot of money, and he's just a risk to stay healthy. Um, but Whoever gets them, you're going to get a superstar pitcher. Um, I think the Mets are going to try their their hardest to re-sign him, but I think um, I think the Rangers is an interesting one. I think they thought that they would make a big push with all their free agent signings last year. I was convinced that they were going to make a push, um, and I think they're going to maybe continue to try going down that road. I don't know, yeah. but we'll see what happens with Degrom. Uh, the number three, Carlos Correa. Um, <clears throat> no surprise that he opted out of his deal with the Twins. Uh, was, that was really to be expected. Felt like a wrinkle. Yeah, he's the number one shortstop on the market. There's a lot of shortstops that have declared for free agency. So if you if you need a shortstop, this is the year to get one. Yeah. Um, but he is the, the considered to be the best one available. Um, and the top three teams for him 
projected to land at is the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Twins. So Carlos Correa has said that the Twins are that he's still interested in in maybe returning to the Twins, but uh, he wants to kind of feel out his other options. So um, I just, pr- um, you know, it's just interesting to see where uh, where he'll end up. Right. And uh, the the ne- the next one is also a shortstop. Number f- the fourth best free agent is Trey Turner. Trey Turner is uh, going to be a free agent. There's been lots of talks about the Braves targeting Trey Turner if they're unable to sign Dansby Swanson. I know Blooper has been uh, the official mascot of the Braves has been dropping hints about Trey Turner. He posted a photo of him behind Trey Turner and did like the the big eyes emoji, like you know dropping hints and stuff like that, but. You know, my thing is, is if we can't re-sign Dansby, how can we afford Trey Turner? You know, so that that's my thing. He, he's an upgrade. Yeah, he's a phenomenal shortstop. Um, I think Dansby, I, I'd rather keep Dansby than get Trey Turner simply because Dansby has become the clubhouse leader. And I think the last thing the Braves need to do is lose your clubhouse leader two years in a row. Lose Freddie, then lose Dansby. You don't want to lose your clubhouse leader two years in a row. But we'll get to him. If that does happen, if that does happen, does it take away from what AA has done? Because I know AA has done a lot of good things, but if he can't keep the big name around, no, because he's locked down everybody else. And debatably, the two best players he can't. He hasn't. Well, Dansby, Dansby is he's he's interesting because Dansby, while he's a he's a Gold Glove defensive talent. He's never been like to, this year was by far his best year at the bat, but he's never been like a big stick at the plate. He's never been like our most reliable hitter. He's he's very very streaky. When he's hot, he's red hot. But when he is cold, he is the coldest hitter on the team. So he's very streaky. So I think we could afford to lose him, but we're also already paying everybody else a lot of money. So I don't think he would take away from what A is doing. You're going to have to make sacrifices in order to re-sign people, and that would just be collateral damage. You, you know, you've re-signed. We have Acuna locked down for a while. We have Albies, Austin Riley, Matt. We have a lot of guys locked down for a while. You're not going to be able to lock down everybody. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll get to Dansby Swanson in a minute. The next one is also a shortstop. Xander Bogarts has declared for free agency. Um, this is also one that the Braves have their eyes on, um, or at least fans are, are, are hoping maybe we could we could get, capture them. Um, but uh, the Red Sox, the Giants, and the Twins are all in the market for Xander Bogarts. Um, the next one, Justin Verlander. This one's going to be interesting because Justin yeah. Verlander is like 37, 38. But he's, I mean, as if you watch the postseason, he can still shove. Like he oh, can yeah. still shove it. He's still a very good pitcher. And this one, I think, could realistically, I think he could realistically end up in Atlanta. This is not, now we're not doing our official predictions about where these free agents land, but I think he could legitimately end up in Atlanta. The Braves tried to sign him last year and just barely got outbid by the Astros. So I think there's still interest there. And the Braves have a long history of signing old veteran pitchers. Like Charlie yeah. Morton, uh, they Cole Hamels, like they they just have a history of doing stuff like this. So I think Justin Verlander to Atlanta could happen, but the number one team projected to land him is the Astros. 
And then also the Orioles are in there too. The Orioles are also projected to be a landing spot for Justin Verlander. The next one is Brandon Nimmo. Uh, Brandon Nimmo. There's only five hitters in Major League Baseball since 2017 that have a higher on-base percentage than Brandon Nimmo, which is very impressive. He's been, um, he's kind of been an under-the-radar guy. Not a lot of people talk about Brandon Nimmo, um, but he's a valuable player. Right now, the Mets are still the favorite to re-sign him. But uh, other places like the Tigers and the Rockies may be able to give him more I think money. The Rockies is a great fit for him, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah, so uh, we'll see what we'll see where Brandon Nimmo ends up. There's definitely always a need for a left-handed outfielder, um, and and he's he's a valuable piece. Carlos Rodon is the next one, um, another starting pitcher. Uh, he's actually not projected to return to St. Louis. The the Rangers are the front runners as well as the Giants. Um, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. He's going to be a valuable asset to whatever rotation he ends up in. Number nine is Dansby Swanson. Um, now, he is projected to return to Atlanta at this point, but I mean, his other top two suitors are the Mariners and the Twins. It'd be interesting to see him in, in Seattle. Um, you know, It'd also be interesting to see him in, in, in Minnesota. It's just going to be a bidding war because Dansby Swanson, it is reported return turned down a hundred million dollar contract from Atlanta. And so that tells me there's not a good chance of us re-signing him because when it comes to the Braves, traditionally, when you turn down the first contract, a lot of times the Braves don't budge and they don't offer you a second one. Right. Matter of fact, that's what Chipper Jones warned Freddie Freeman about last year. He said, don't play games with the Braves front office. If you try to, if you try to, you know, call around and try to get the best contract, they just won't offer you one. There, they'll yeah. give you an offer, and if you don't take it, then they'll say fine. So, I don't know if I think Dansby has the same agent as Freddie Freeman, which is not a good look. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. I really hope he stays, not not because I feel like he's our most valuable player, but because he became the clubhouse leader when I thought it was going to be Austin Riley. I thought Riley was going to take those reins, but it became Dansby Swanson. Vaughn Grissom and Michael Harris and those guys looked up to Dansby, and they, they called him the, the boss, basically. They, they looked up to him, and so I really feel like we need to keep our vocal leader in the dugout this year. Um, and then the number 10 is Clayton Kershaw. He is not projected to end up anywhere else other than L.A., um, I don't see him. I don't see him going anywhere else. He's been there his whole career. He's lived in LA his whole life. Um, so I don't see him going anywhere else. But it'll be interesting to see if possibly Clayton Kershaw ends his career somewhere. I mean, he's in his mid thirties. He's still he's still got good stuff. Uh, but he just for whatever reason can never pitch well in the playoffs. I don't know what right. it is about Clayton Kershaw. Right. But yeah, that's that's it. And and next week. Um, if, if all works out, we'll have a guest on the show to talk about projected free agency landing spots. And, uh, so what we talked about today was really where the experts think that these people are going to land, but we're going to give me and our guest are going to, uh, and and you too, Mitchell, we will give our projections of where we think these free agents are going to land. All right. Oh yeah. All right. Let's get into the NFL. All right, so obviously the main headline today, uh, which if you have ESPN notifications on your phone, you have, have probably seen this today. Frank Reich has been fired in, in Indianapolis. Um, not too much of a surprise. 
um, as they got routed by New, New England this past Sunday. I think it was twenty six to three or something like something that. They like got that, yeah. They got blown out. Uh, the quarterback change hasn't done anything. Sam Ellinger had, I think, fifteen completions for like one hundred and five yards. Like it literally was dink and dunk yeah. all game long. They couldn't do yeah. anything downfield. Um, so the interesting thing, though, is Jeff Saturday has been named as the interim head coach. I love you, it. You never see that. You never see a guy that's not on the coaching staff become the interim head coach. Saturday has not been a coach on the Colts. He's just a consultant for the team. And he's a Hall of Famer. He played his whole career there in Indy. Um, interesting fact, he, was, he was a head coach 15 minutes down the road. from. Yeah, he's from Georgia. He, he coached uh, a Christian school down the road a couple of years ago. I actually went to high school with his nephew. Um, shout out Austin Blankenship. I don't know if you ever are going to listen to this show, but shout out to you. Um, I mean, it's either his nephew, some, somehow he's he's somehow related to Jeff Saturday. But right. anyways, um, yeah, I, th- I just feel like it's interesting. I mean, Jeff Saturday, I, I love his personality. He's got a lot of energy. Um, I think it, it, it's going to be interesting to see where it ends up. But I also find it interesting that they didn't decide to promote anybody from within the organization. Because Jeff Saturday has been away from the team. He hasn't been in the locker room at all this year. He hasn't been around these players. And now he's expected to take over the team in the middle of a year where you're struggling and just fix it all. So yeah. I don't really know what Jim Ursay and the general manager of the Colts is doing right now. I don't know what they're thinking. I think this is maybe just a desperation move. But I know he's been a consultant with the team, but he's not been with the team all year. So I don't really know what the strategy is in that. I mean, it feels like a it feels like a a culture move, in my opinion. It feels like something that he was trying to do to um, to change the culture up, at least for the rest of the season. I think he sees that the division is kind of gettable. Um, definitely gettable. I mean, the Titans are now 5-3, and three, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a gettable division. Maybe he can spark some life into him. I just think Frank Reich wasn't, wasn't there for them. I, I just don't, he was a good offensive mind. I just don't know if he was a a leader of men, and I think Saturday can be a leader of men once he gets that. Um, oh yeah, I mean he's I, he's he's what a two-time Super Bowl champ or something like that. Yeah, two six six-time Pro Bowler. Like he's yeah yeah. So I mean he knows what it takes to be successful, um, and so and he knows what it takes to be successful with a veteran quarterback. And so I, I I'm interested to see if Jeff Saturday taking over means Matt Ryan steps back in as the starter. I think because. He he would know what it takes for a veteran quarterback to succeed with him being Peyton Manning's right-hand man for all those years. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. The Colts, you know, hopefully, if you're a Colts fan and you're listening to this, hopefully not all hope is gone for you. Um, I actually like the Colts organization. I've never had any ill feelings towards them. I I was high on them coming into the year. Yeah, a lot of people were high on them. Me and you both were high on them. A lot of people were high on this Colts, Colts team. They've just looked flat all year. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens uh, with that situation. And, and so with that, piggybacking off of that, who do you think, in your opinion, is the next NFL coach to be fired? Um, honestly, I don't see one realistically. Lovey Smith? Yeah. I mean, he was I mean, one of mine. My, mine is Cliff Kingsbury. 
I think Cliff Kingsbury's out if they can't make the playoffs this year. And they're sitting at three and six right now. Do you, do you look at Todd Bowles as someone who's on the hot seat as well? If the Buccaneers keep struggling? Todd Bowles. He's the head coach of that team? Buccaneers, yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Bruce Arians Arians is not there anymore. Um, Yeah, I mean, definitely, because they're definitely underperforming. They're not playing near as well as they were when Arians was the head coach. So, yeah, that could be one. Lovey Smith is definitely one. That was a questionable hire from the start. Um, if you're if you're gonna hire somebody like Lovey Smith, you might as well have just kept whoever you had last year. I don't even remember right. his name. I forgot. But too. Colors, David Colors yeah. or Cully, David Cully. David Cully. Um, you may as well just kept him because you probably have the same record than you have right now. Lovey Smith is not a good coach. I mean, um, and you also look at you also might even look at a uh, at a Dennis Allen in New Orleans uh, after I one mean, year. You think they'd fire him? I mean, Lovey Smith's after one year. Todd Bowles yeah. is after one year. Yeah, the Texans uh, that, have done it before, right? But at least with Dennis Allen, he's sitting at three and five, which is not terrible. Lovey Smith is got to win tonight. They've got to win tonight. Lovey yeah. Smith is sitting at one and seven, so that's a little bit different. And Cliff Kingsbury, yeah, he's three and six, but it's like you've got you've got way too much talent on this roster to be three and six, right? You know, especially with the Rams struggling and the Niners have been struggling. They're starting to get hot. That was your chance to take off in this. Div- and you have an unexpected Seattle team that's leading the division. Leno Smith's second in the MVP race. Yeah. Why are the Cardinals not in first place in this division? It was a perfect right. opportunity for them to take it, and they're sitting at three and six. And now that the new Call of Duty's dropped, there's no chance that they're getting any better. Yeah, there, no, there's, there's no chance. You're because right. Kyler Murray's going to be spending his time where he should be watching film. He's going to be playing Modern Warfare 2. So your your team's not going to get better. I think Cliff Kingsbury, in my opinion, is the next coach out. I like it. All right, the next one, we're going to end the NFL segment with another Factor Whack. Factor Whack. Factor Whack. This is not going to be a theme song for Factor Whack. (laughs) This is not going to be an every week segment, but uh, I found some other questions that we can analyze. So if if you weren't here last week, Factor Whack is uh, I'm going to give three statements essentially and me and Mitchell are going to give our opinions on whether we think that is a fact or whether it's whack that's not true or that it's we don't think it's going to happen or so on and so forth right so the first one is the Jets can make a deep run in the playoffs fact or whack I'm going to say whack um, I we've talked about the Jets um, I think they can make the postseason at this point a very big win over the Buffalo Bills yesterday their defense looks tremendous. Sauce Gardner looks like an absolute amazing pick from them. And Zach Wilson's improving, and they're plug-and playing every single running back that they're bringing into this system. Um, I don't think the offense is there quite yet to justify a deep playoff run, but I thought the Bengals were a year away last year. This could be another Bengals situation, but I, yeah. but I think the Jets are a whack right now. Yeah, I, I'm going to say whack, but this definitely isn't your grandma's Jets team. This isn't the Jets team that you know and love that's going to fall flat on their face. They're competitive every week. They're playing well. They've hit on just about all of their draft picks over the last two years. And Sauce Gardner is already the best corner in football, in my opinion. He's already overtaken the league. I think I saw a graphic earlier today that he's number one in every major corner stat. Like in 
and yeah. like receptions allowed, yards, all that stuff. He's the number one corner. Um, he's the real deal. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I still don't, I still don't believe in in Zach Wilson. I understand that they're six and three, but I think they're six and three in spite of, not because of Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. And so, because of that, I don't think they can make a deep playoff run. This team reminds me of the Blake Bortles led Jaguars team. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of that. Yeah. All right, the second one, the Rams will miss the playoffs. Fact or whack? Um, I will say I'll say fact for now. I think that there's just a bunch of teams playing better football than them. They look inept offensively. Their defense looks fine, but they re- no one else has really shown out other than Cooper Cup for them. So that that worries me. Yeah, I'm also going to go with fact. I mean, they're what sitting at what three and six right now. Three and six. The defending Super Bowl champs are sitting at three and six. They got um, what they wanted. They're just yeah. old. Yeah, I mean, but they're only one year older than they were last year, and they've got pretty much the same team they had last season. Lost Von Miller minus Von um, Miller. Yeah. That's it. So, and they lost um, that offensive lineman to retirement too. But that that's Andrew really Whitworth. Yeah. yeah, Andrew Whitworth. Those are the only two key pieces you've lost. And now Matt Stafford does looks like he might as well be playing in Detroit again because they're not playing well. Right. And so I, I don't really know what's going on there. Um, I know there was talks of Sean McVay retiring and uh, after the Super Bowl because he wanted to focus on getting married and having a family and all that and maybe eventually come back to football. I think maybe that's maybe that's distracted them. Maybe they thought about it and they're not taking this season as, as seriously as they did. Aaron Donald doesn't look as dominant as he did last year. There was talks of him maybe retiring. I don't know what's going on in L.A., but I'm going to say fact. They're not going to make the playoffs at this rate. Yeah. All right, the third one. Aaron Rodgers will not be a Green Bay Packer next season. I'll say whack because I think we see this story every single year. I think this is the worst. I mean, this is the worst they've looked, obviously. But I think every single time that we think that Aaron Rodgers is gone from Green Bay, he comes back. So I think if you put some weapons around Aaron Rodgers, he'll be fine. But are they going to get those weapons, though? Who knows? But I'm saying they don't do it every year. Yeah. This would have been the year for them to. This would have been the year for him to leave after they traded Devontae Adams. I just I don't know. I, I'm torn on this one. I mean, you just lost to the Lions, Aaron Rodgers. I don't remember the last time he lost to the Lions. I think he had a pretty long winning streak against them. And you didn't just lose him. You lost 15-8. to eight. Detroit didn't even look good in the game, and you lost. Um, and, and, you know, I've been seeing lots of, you know, videos of the receivers are just dropping passes. It's not really so much Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but the fact that they're not giving him weapons, they're not giving him pieces, I think that could frustrate him enough to be like, just, just whatever you got to do to get me out of here, get me out of here. Cause I, I, cause I, cause again, I've said this the last several weeks. I've never seen him this frustrated in my life. Never seen him this frustrated, never seen him this upset. If they were going to make a move for a weapon, they, they would have done it already. The the trade deadline's over. Uh, Why haven't you signed Odell Beckham? Why has nobody signed Odell Beckham? I I don't know what's going on. Um, So, I'm going to say whack for now, but honestly, it's it would not surprise me if Aaron Rodgers, with as egotistical as – look, he's a great quarterback, but he's got a huge ego. Um, with as egotistical as he is, with as self-centered as he is, I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to force his way out after this season. Right. All right, so let's let's transition to the NBA. 
And this is where, Mitchell, you take it away. The NBA Weekly Fast Break. We go quickly through the NBA and the world of the NBA that's happened in the last week. I want to start off with the Warriors suck. The Warriors have lost six in a row. They're three and seven right now on the season. Um, the starting lineup has the second highest um, is the second high, highest rated starting lineup in all of basketball. The bench unit is terrible. What the bench has been doing the last couple of years is always they've always had that veteran guy, that Iguodala, that um, that guy that'll come off the bench and just be a steady piece. But this year they've really tried to work in Kuminga and Moody and Poole and Jamichael Green, who's kind of a veteran, but none of them have been good. They can't play defense, and they don't give any support to Steph Curry, and it doesn't help that Klay Thompson has been terrible. Klay Thompson has been terrible. So um, the Warriors just aren't very good right now. Yeah, both of our, both of our predicted finals winners are not doing well. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's that's the NBA though. Uh, that's the or it's early. It's very early, so all these are very are overreactions. This is not an overreaction. The Bucks are the best team in the NBA. This might be the best best version of the Bucks. I think Giannis is kind of cruising right now to his third MVP. Um, if he keeps this up, he's going to go down as a top five player of all time. If he keeps up what he's doing, wins another championship. The Bucks are undefeated. They play the Hawks tonight. That'll be a very interesting matchup to see what happens there. In Atlanta, the Jazz are eight and three. They keep winning. Um, they look fun. They are they're they're playing really good brand of basketball. Very selfless. Markinen's been really good. And then the last thing I want to talk about is the Nets finally fire Steve Nash. Um, but I think the bigger story here is they are in preliminary talks signing Ime Udoka off of out of a suspension yeah. from the Boston Celtics, which also makes you wor- wonder. Marcus Smart came out and said, guard for the the Celtics said that we just thought he was suspended. We didn't think he was going to, we thought he was coming back. But at this point, he's, he is almost, it's almost a done deal that he's going to the Brooklyn Nets. That's a, that, that seems as much of a pitch to keep Katie and Kyrie. I know Kyrie has his own issues right now with the NBA, but the, the Nets needed to fire Steve Nash. It wasn't going well. That team doesn't look good. That team doesn't play with any fire in them. Um, so hopefully they, under um, Jacques Vaughn, their interim head coach, they can start to turn around the season because I do think they're a playoff team. Um, we just haven't seen any help for KD this year. It's been all KD um, yeah. and none of the other role players. Um, but it's interesting If I can, if I can yeah. comment on Ime Udoka, I, I don't think there's any – I don't think – after him, him being suspended for what he did. Now, look, morally and from a you know, both of us are Christians from a Christian standpoint. I don't support what he did, and I feel like you know he kind of brought that upon himself. But I think people have been suspended for less for doing worse than what he did. Right. And I think him being suspended for a whole year for what he did, um, I think it left a bad taste in his mouth. And I felt like he's like, I'm not coming back to the Celtics. You suspended me for a year for this. Now, there, I, I have seen some rumors. I don't know if they've been confirmed that the lady that he was doing this with was the owner's wife, which would make sense as to why this punishment was so severe and probably why Ime Udoka just does not want to stay in Boston. Right. Um, we obviously saw he's a good coach. Great Could coach. he turn around the Nets? I, maybe. Um, you know, I, I just turned feel like around the Celtics in one year. Yeah, so interesting, you know, let's see what happens yeah. with Ime Udoka. 
Ime Udoka is a is the is a top five head coach. Philosophy yeah. wise, he's got Just, it there. You know, he's a, hide your wife, hide your kids. Yeah, right, right. He's a pop. <laughs> he's a he's a pop disciple. Though. I mean, he's a Popovich disciple. Um, a very very similar to what Saban like with Saban. If you come under the the tutelage of of Pop, you're going to be a head co- good head coach. Budenholzer's come from under Popovich, and there's plenty of other guys that have came from Greg Popovich. Ime Udoka is a very good um, very good head coach, but that's all I've got for the weekly fast break. It is called the fast break. It's not called the half court offense. So we are we go quickly <laughs> through the fast break so that we can get into some college football. College football. College football. Maybe. I don't know what you want to talk about first. So I will. I will. The cream. You want to talk about the cream? Yes. So the uh, just kind of the headline for this week is the cream rises to the top. Yeah, um, and I chose this headline because I've I've heard you use this on your other show as one of your headlines in the past. The cream always rises to the top. That's what we saw this past week. Yeah, the the pretenders got exposed, and the real teams showed up. Now, even there's a lot of even the top teams, even undefeated teams at one that still didn't look very good this week. So I think things are starting to play out. People that freaked out after the first college football rankings. Just relax. Things always work themselves out with this. Teams really show who they are, especially in November. Champions play in November. Pretenders play in October. That's what Brian Kelly said. Brian Kelly. And he proved that. Um, So, uh, and I just want to analyze the the three biggest games from this past week before we get into our uh, witness protection, one burning question, all that other stuff. So let's look first at the LSU-Alabama game. Uh, we watched this game together after the Georgia-Tennessee game, and it was an exciting one. The first yeah. half was really low scoring. Um, really felt like Bama from the at the beginning. Hold on, just a second. I will. Uh, I will talk about it for right now as Zach is stepping away. But um, I, I the beginning of this game was was very much a slow paced uh slow paced game lsu was not really shooting and clicking on all cylinders offensively but neither was bama lsu got a huge turnover in the first possession um bryce young drove down made a pretty bad mistake but i think that was the that was the kind of the the thing for them the whole time was was they were forcing bryce young to make bad throws they were forcing um him into decisions that he doesn't usually have to make pressure was in his face and LSU kept themselves in this football game. Um, and I think a lot of things in that first half was effort-based by LSU. They they went down. They were chasing down big plays. They were tackling them in um, in space, preventing touchdowns. And then the second half started, and Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels made, had his Heisman moment. He was taken over. He had the offense looking good. Look, this game legitimately was 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 crazy. Shout out to the tight end for LSU. Really made two of the biggest plays of the game. Um, and so, I mean, look, LSU went in there. Hello, welcome back, Zach. Um, but at LSU in the second half started making more plays. Um, they made effort plays. They Jaden Daniels made plays with his feet. Kayshawn Booty and Malik Neighbors made huge plays offensively as well. And they could run the ball. And once again, Alabama's turnover or uh, penalty issues really proved to be big for them. As you went into the as you went into the uh, the end of regulation, and then you went into overtime, 
you see Alabama strikes very quickly. And at that point, you think this game could be over. Like this just seems, okay, Alabama's going to win another one. And then LSU comes down one play, scores with Jaden Daniels with his legs. And then they, look, Brian Kelly wanted to come to LSU to beat Saban. And he did it in his first year, goes for two, completes it. It was a great game. LSU now has a legitimate shot of being the first two-win team to ever make the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, um, sorry, I had to I had to take care of something real quick. But, um, you know, Alabama started off the game fast. They were moving the ball in that first drive. And I really feel like if Bryce Young doesn't throw that interception in the end zone on that first drive, I feel like this exactly game would be totally different. Exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you said, but uh, yeah. Um, and uh, another thing I want to talk about, kind of to piggyback off of this conversation, is there's several Alabama fans that we know, some that you don't know, but that, I, but that I've talked to and that I've heard say this. What do you think's happened to the Crimson Tide? What do you think has happened to this team that they're just they're they're not the Crimson Tide of old? They're not who we we know them to be yeah catching up teams yes. below them are catching up they're not falling they're staying the teams above them are right. catching up yeah and 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 i i've heard several people say that that they think saban's lost his touch and this that and the other i, I and i disagree with that i don't know how I, I don't know if you dove into this at all or not when i was while i was away for a second but um yeah i don't think saban has lost anything I think Saban is still a very good coach, still a phenomenal recruiter. I don't think he's declined. I don't think he's lost anything. I think the rest of college football is catching up. Yeah. Um, especially now with NIL and especially with transfer portal. Um I I just think that uh you know people are catching up now. And so um I think th- and that's leveled the playing field because now in, in the past Alabama has had five stars sitting on third string on their team. But now with the transfer portal NIL, guys are saying, look, if I'm going to be third string and I'm a five star, I'm just going to go transfer. I'm going to get some playing time. Right. Um, You know, I don't want to sit around and wait for my chance. I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere and get some playing time. So I think the rest of college football is caught up. I mean, Saban has been the standard for 15 years. And that's why coaches that come to the (laughs) SEC. If you can't win right away, you get fired after two seasons because everybody else in the SEC has been like, look, we, we need to compete with Saban. And if you're not cutting it within two or three years, if you're not winning, winning a lot of games right off the bat, you're, you're done. And so I think Bama fans should take this as a compliment that it took that he was so far ahead of the game that it took 15 years for the rest of college football to catch up. So I don't think Saban's lost it. Uh, I think Saban will be. They're going to have a competitive team as long as he is there. They're going to have a competitive team. They're going to be in at least conversations for a national title uh, in the preseason and all that. The dynasty's not over. Just give him some time to adjust to this new era of college football, and I think he'll be fine. And I think Alabama will be fine. It's just that the rest of college football is caught up. Yeah, the thing I will say is this is two straight years that a coach has called their shot on on Nick Saban. Yeah. So, I mean, there are people who legitimately are prepared all year to beat Nick Saban. And Heupel did it. Jimbo did it last year. Um, And then, look, Brian Kelly is a great head coach. Absolutely. Look, time catches up to everybody. 
nobody's dominant forever. Um, I know Tom Brady likes to think he's going to be able to dominate forever, but we see this year that's not happening. Yesterday, um, time catches up to everybody. Um, and eventually, you know, no matter how much you, no matter how much you change your game, no matter how much you transition, eventually people are going to catch up to you and you're not going to be the best anymore. Right. Now, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to just contradict everything I just said. He's still going to be good. He's still going to be competitive. He's still going to be competing for national championships, SEC championships and all that. But now you've got other coaches that are in the SEC that can also do that. When Saban first came into the SEC, there weren't very many coaches in the SEC that could do what he was doing. Matter of fact, if you look at it, when Saban came to prominence at Alabama, who had just left the conference? Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. Had Urban Meyer stayed at Florida, would Saban still have the amount of trophies that he has now? We don't know because Urban Meyer was dominating at Florida. So things just kind of, and I'm not saying that's Saban's fault or that he's lucky or what, that's just how things played out. So there's been a lack of really dominant coaches in the SEC until now. Now there's three, four, maybe five really good head coaches in the conference and the SEC takes it more seriously than any other conference. They recruit better. They're going to pay kids more money to come play there because it, it really does mean more here. So yeah. um, I think that's what we're seeing play out. Yeah. But uh, let's let's move on to Clemson-Notre Dame. Uh, let's look back at that game. Um, you know, Clemson just looked inept from the, from, the, from, the, from the get-go. I mean, they didn't score any points until, like, I think late in the third quarter. They finally scored their first touchdown. DJU looked awful, looked like the DJU of last year and of the DJU that played against Syracuse. Um, I don't know what happened to the DJU that beat Wake Forest and NC State. I don't know where he went because he disappeared. Um, the DJU of old showed up, played terribly, and then, um, you know, they they put in Klubnik, and then Klubnik throws one pass for an interception, and they put they, DJU, DJU back in the game. game. Made no sense. If you're going to put the backup in the game, you got to stick with him. You got to ride with him. You can't put him in for one play. Makes one mistake. You're gonna, you just shattered that kid's confidence now. That he feels like if I go in the game, I can't make a mistake, or I'm gonna have, I'm gonna get pulled again. So my my question with this is, what's next for the Tigers at quarterback? You've got to go with Klubnik. You've got I think I mean at this point of the year, I I am a believer that they are out. They that without how everything else is going right now, they're gonna need a lot of help to get in. Even as a one-loss conference champion, um, but they still. The thing is, they still have good quality ranked wins. They though. have good quality ranked wins, but they're not going to get in over an Oregon or a Tennessee at this point because of how bad this loss looked. But and, the Notre Dame loss doesn't look bad anymore now that they've gone on a win streak. Now that they're, I mean, yeah, they're an unranked team, and yes, it does look bad. But it it'd be one thing if they lost, like if they would have lost this game at home. And Notre Dame was like two and seven instead of like five and three. That looks worse. Um, so yes, I think, but I, I do think we need to shift the conversation away from Clemson and and talk more about the and talk more about Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame comes into this game. Marcus Freeman hasn't had a hasn't had the greatest of 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 seasons. He has lost to Marshall. He's lost to Stanford. 
He's lost to a lot of teams he shouldn't lose to, but I think Marcus Freeman found the formula. Marcus Freeman found the formula to where he can have sustained success at Notre Dame by just out-physicaling you, kicking the crap out of you on first down in the run game. He doesn't have to have a super great quarterback. He just needs a quarterback that's going to limit his mistakes. And one thing we know about Marcus Freeman is he can coach defense. He can coach a defense up, and that defense played tremendous. Look, the offense didn't score 35 points. The defense scored 14 of those points. Special teams scored, our defense scored seven. Special teams scored seven more. But the offense did what they needed to do. If Even if they didn't have those two takeaways, Notre Dame still wins this game 21 to 14. But the defense did their job, and Marcus Freeman was physical, or Marcus Freeman's team was physical. Their two runners ran for 200 yards against Clemson. That's not something that you just easily do. You don't just go and rush for 200 yards against a Clemson front that's going to have four or five starters. Four or five starters. So, I mean, Notre Dame did what they needed to do. Notre Dame was the more physical team, and they outrushed Clemson better than anyone has. They went out there and they took it from Clemson, out-physicaled them, made them look like babies on the, off, on the defensive line. And Notre Dame found their formula to win a bunch of games this year. And I think USC, seeing how physical Notre Dame played in that game, needs to be a little worried. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the game I know we both want to talk about, UGA and Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just impressed. I was just very impressed by the way our dogs played. Um, I definitely did not expect that performance. I, I really expected the game to be close. I expected me to have anxiety till the very end of the game. And I found myself at halftime just being like, wow, I'm actually really, really confident that we're going to pull this out. I have no, I really don't have any, very many concerns anymore about this game. And so um, I was just very, very impressed with the way we played. Uh, they imposed their will on Tennessee. They instead of instead of us trying to play their game, which a lot of teams that have played them have tried to do, have tried to you say well, we're going to try and beat you by outscoring you or trying to throw the ball a million times. We made them play our game, and we showed them that we're better at it than you are. Um, and I felt like that was the key. I said that was one of my keys to the game: control the ball, uh, clock control, which we did a lot of that in this game. Yep. And don't get away from your game plan. And I felt like Kirby did a phenomenal job not getting outside the, play, the game plan, um, sticking to what, you know, you've practiced all week. And then I want to just, I want to give props to that young secondary. You guys have proved, you guys proved me wrong in this game. I had secondary. I had legitimate concerns about the secondary, not because I didn't feel like they were talented, but just, I felt like they were so young and there had been lots of games where they had genuinely blown coverages where they really shouldn't have but they proved me wrong in this game. They played so well against an offense that literally is a reactionary offense. That's why it's so hard to stop because the, the receivers are all are, are all on option routes. They react to what your corner's doing, and they do the opposite. But those corners stuck to their assignments, and they weren't doing anything fancy. They were just playing man-to-man and saying, I think our corners are better than your receivers, and they proved it. I mean, it was incredible. Kirby didn't come out with some elaborate defensive scheme. He just said, prove that you're better than them. Play man-to-man coverage and switch when you need to switch. But other than that, you stick to your man and you prove that you're better. And, and they did that all night long. 
And then, man, the pass rush. The pass rush was incredible. We've been we've been getting criticism all year about our pass rush. Our pass rush is not elite, uh, which they only look at sack numbers and they don't look at quarterback hurries, which you really need to look at both of those to really determine how elite a pass rush is. And without our best pass rusher on the field, we sacked Hendon Hooker six times, four times on one drive alone. We sacked him. Should have um, counted. Yeah, it should have been a fourth one, but then the the, the face mask call. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but anyways, anyway, just was, just. Yeah. And and we've said this a, a million times. There's no such thing as a as a good uh, as a good secondary without a good pass rush. And so they did that. I, I agree 100. percent Nathan uh, Kirby did show what elite looks like in this game. Um, the only concern I had, the only legitimate concern I had, was the questionable play call in, on offense in the second half. I understand it was raining. I understand you're trying to play clock control, but. In my opinion, you got to step on their throats. I understand we we only had a three touchdown lead and they can score quickly. Now they didn't, but you know, I felt like it was very vanilla. It was every every drive was run up the middle, toss play, and then a screen pass, and it didn't do anything. It kept them in the game. And so that's the only concern I had. Everything else was phenomenal. And thank you to the Tennessee fans who tried to catch Tried to keep Stetson Bennett up all night by calling his phone 700 times because right. that just motivated him. So thank right. you. I mean, I, my biggest thing is just, I mean, when is the last time Georgia has had a big, highly touted game that they have not played well? I don't remember. Florida in 2020 is really the only time I can think of. Well, we didn't COVID have a quarterback year, in 2020. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. COVID we didn't have weird. a quarterback that year. Stetson Bennett that was kind of the the year he was kind of first being introduced as a potential starter. You know, we didn't really know what to expect from him. And yeah, that was a weird year. We thought that we thought Dewan Mathis was going to be amazing. And he ended up being one of the worst quarterbacks to ever step. I foot. didn't. I told you at Cracker Barrel that I didn't want him to be the starter quarterback. And you were like, Oh, just trust, just trust him. And then he <laughs> sucked. That's but anyway, I, yeah. I mean, Kirby, and this is going to be an overreaction, and I'm, but I truly do believe it. I think Kirby, at his current track record, is on track to be a better head coach than Nick Saban. He's on track to, um, you know, I'm I'm not going to put I'm not going to count my chickens for the hatch. Sugar Bowl, yes. Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl, or no, he hasn't won a Cotton Bowl. Sugar he's Bowl, won, he's Rose won Bowl, every New Year's Six Bowl. Bowl except for one. The Cotton he's Bowl, he hasn't played in the Fiesta. Years. Yeah, he has not played yeah. in the Fiesta Bowl. He's only been um, head coach for seven years, and he's already won five out of six, well, which won, is incredible. He's won one SEC championship, one national championship. Three appearances, one Three appearances. win. Four appearances. No, four appearances. Man, four appearances, I forgot about that. Win. Four appearances, only one win, but, you know. Auburn, Bama, LSU, Bama. Two national championship appearances. Just, he he's dominant right now. And the thing is, is he took – he took the blueprint that Saban gave him. He was the longest tenured um, Saban assistant Saban yeah. ever had. Yep. He took the blueprint Saban gave him, put his own twist on it, because Saban is very stoic. He's very strict and very, you know, we, we stick to a certain regime and a certain plan. Whereas Kirby does all of that in practice, but he still has fun. You right. know, it always seems like Saban is just getting kind of anti-fun. Kirby does all of that while still having fun. 
And he's yeah. kind of added that element to it. And he loves the university. He's from, I mean, he went to the University of Georgia. It's that There's that added passion of not only am I trying to be a good coach, but I also love this university. Um, I love this school. And so it, it's just phenomenal to see what he's done. And uh, I couldn't be more happy to, to have Kirby Smart as our head coach. And I hope he's here for a long time. I hope he doesn't go anywhere anytime soon. Um, um, it was a risky yeah. move. It was a risky move moving off from Mark Richt. That was very risky, but it paid off. It, did. it paid off big time. It did. We have a lot to get to, so I think we need to hop along. Yeah. Uh, let's let's jump to witness protection for week ten. Yes. Um, I will start. Uh, my witness protection is defense in the SMU Houston game. Um, <laughs> Tanner Mordecai had ten total touchdowns. Clayton Tune had seven total touchdowns. They scored a combined 140 points. That's the most points scored in a regular regulation game in the AP poll era, which dates back to 1936. Um, and something crazier about the game is the last time these two schools played each other in college basketball on February 27th, Houston won 75 to 61, which if you do the math, that means the football teams outscored their respective basketball teams. Yeah. Both of those defensive coordinators probably didn't get any sleep last night. No, they they are on witness protection. They are <clears throat> they're they're yeah, they're gone. They're they're yeah. they're that's, you, that's you might you might as well you might as well have just trotted both offenses out there and just had a track meet. Like why does a defense need to even be on the field at this point? Right. Because they're not yep. doing anything. Seven eight total touchdowns in the first half. Yeah. First half. My witness protection is the Miami Hurricanes football team. Like, you want to talk about a bad football team. A team that a lot of people had high expectations for. We both expected them to be to be representing the Coastal. We thought they'd be representing the Coastal in the ACC title game this year. And they're, they're atrocious. They're bad. And it makes no sense because they're in arguably the most fertile recruiting ground in America. Now, credit to... Um, um, Mark, why can't I think of his name? Their head coach, Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal. Uh, credit to him. He is he is recruiting phenomenally right now. Uh, he's doing very well in the recruiting trail. So it's going to take some time. If you're a Miami fan, it's going to take some time for them to be good. But man, that team is bad. Tyler Van Dyke was getting talks of Heisman preseason, and he's been he's been it. It looks like he's just making it up as he goes out there. Yeah, it's just awful. That game was never in question against Florida State. He got blown out 45-3 to in a rivalry game that used to be college football's best rivalry back in the 90s. And now it doesn't mean anything. And it's just unfortunate, but I'm putting the whole team on witness protection because y'all are just, you're, you're terrible. You're trash. You should be ashamed of the way you're representing your school, the way you're playing. Nobody on that team looks interested in football right now. They don't look interested in playing. and. It's it's just a bad situation if you're a Miami Hurricanes fan. I think there is a lot of things to look forward to if you're Miami. You're recruiting really well on the offensive line. Cristobal is basically still coaching the Manny Diaz team. Um, I think that's the only thing. But, I mean, they have a talented roster, and we thought they were going to be a lot better. So I think this is a well-deserved witness protection. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our one burning question. Um, my one burning question this week is is kind of simple, um, but it's how will the committee handle the chaos? 
because uh, there was quite a bit of chaos that happened this past week. And with the way it's been trending, there's probably going to be some more here in the coming weeks. How's the committee going to handle it? Because now you've got, what, seven one-loss teams now? Yeah. I think there's seven one-loss teams. How are you going to juggle that between the four undefeated teams, which they're not all going to stay undefeated because Miami and Ohio are not Miami, Michigan Ohio State and Ohio. Michigan are going to play each other. So one of them's going to have a loss. TCU might very well lose a game. So how are you going to juggle potentially nine one-loss teams in those, in those four spots? So that's just my one burning question. How is the committee going to handle it all? Because I'm not envious of the committee. Um, I know a lot of times I just kind of make up rules as they go. Um, they, they, they like to... They, they said this past ranking that they put a lot of stock in strength of record, yet TCU had the number three strength of record and it was sitting at seven. So I think that's a lot of, a lot, I think that was a bunch of baloney. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on um, with the committee. And there's, they're probably talking right now. The rankings come out tomorrow night and we're, we're going to talk about our rankings here in a second. But that's my question. How's the committee going to handle the chaos? I like that. Uh, my my question's kind of, I mean, it's sort of similar. Uh, my my burning question is how big is the gap between UGA and two right now? It's pretty. I big. mean, Michigan looked rough against Rutgers in the first half. Ohio State pulled a stinker against one and eight Northwestern. TCU was in another close game. Tennessee just lost. You have Oregon, who's already lost to Georgia as well. USC, UCLA, both have question marks. LSU's had with two losses. There's legitimately a um I mean there's legitimately a huge gap. And I, I just want to know like at this point is I don't want to be I don't want to get overconfident. Right. I don't want to right. get overconfident, but is Georgia gonna cruise? I don't want to say we're gonna cruise. Um but you know really the last well we do have two SEC road games still on our schedule. We got a trap game, a potential trap game this weekend at Mississippi State. Mississippi State is is what six and three, but they're five and zero oh at home. They they haven't lost a game at home, um, and there's no telling what Mike Leach is going to pull out of his hat to try and beat us. And then we still got to play Kentucky at Kentucky. Now Kentucky has been much less than impressive these last several weeks, but it, we're still playing at Kroger Field. They've got a great fan base, and they can play spoiler. So we've got two potential trap games, two tough road SEC games coming up. But I think if we get through those two through those two hurdles, and then we've got to, you know, obviously the playoff. I just want to take it one week at a time. I just want to focus on. I'm not looking forward to the championship. I'm focusing on Mississippi State. Um, so I, you know, I, I I'm leery of getting ahead of myself and saying that we're going to cruise to a chance if we if we play like we did on Saturday. There's not a team in the country that can touch us. No. If we play like we did this past Saturday, there is not a team in the nation that's going to touch this team. Right. Um, Agreed. And Wonderful. going back to Kirby Smart, just, just for a quick second, because uh, I just remembered this, but they said on College Game Day that Kirby Smart, since the Tennessee game last year, has been nonstop studying that offense because he knew they would come out this year better than they were last season. And he knew they were a hard offense to stop. If that doesn't speak volumes to how dedicated Kirby Smart is to winning football games and the anticipation of how good a team's going to be the next year, I don't know what is. 
He studied that offense for a year, and it showed. It showed on Saturday. All right, so yeah. let's go in. Let's go into our our own rankings. Um, the official review college football playoff rankings. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? You can go ahead and go first. Yeah. All right, I will go first. Obviously, Georgia's number one. There's no question there. Um, the committee would be crazy not to put us at number one. I'm putting TCU at number two. Their strength of record is still top three in college football, and I think they deserve respect for that. Uh, I know they've struggled in some games, but who cares? They're undefeated, and out of the four undefeated teams, they've got the second best record, I think. The um, So the, the at least strength of record is what I, what I mean. And then number three, Michigan. I've got Michigan at three. I think they leapfrog Ohio State after that stinker Ohio State played. Look, I don't care what the weather was like in Chicago. I get that you can't throw the ball, but against Northwestern, you should have ran for 300 yards with how good your team is, and you and you didn't. So um, I, was, I was just not impressed. It played right into Northwestern's hands. They out-physicaled Ohio State. Just unfortunately, they don't have the cats to win. They don't have the cats to win that right. game. Right. Uh, number four, I dropped Ohio State to four because they're undefeated. They're the last four undefeated teams remaining, so they need to be in the top four. I've got... I've got Tennessee at five um, just because they had that loss. They still have a lot of good ranked wins. Um, They're playing a tough game against Missouri this weekend. And you better believe that every team they play from this point forward is going to be looking at that tape from Georgia to see how to stop this. Right. Um, So, and and Missouri has a good defense. We saw that firsthand. Other teams are seeing that they've got a good defense. It's just a matter of they're going to be able to score. And then number six, I've got Oregon sitting at six. They've been, Absolutely steamrolling everybody uh, that they've come in contact with since the Georgia game. Dan Lanning has proved that he knows how to coach a team, that he is, um, he's, I mean, he, he, he was ready for this. Dan Lanning was ready for this. And I think his approach uh, when he took that job was, I'm not leaving Georgia until I get an elite opportunity. He got that elite opportunity. He's making the most of it. The Oregon Ducks look really good. Uh, Bo Nix is front runner for Heisman in my opinion, but that's my top six. Yeah, I like it. Um, my number one is Georgia. Obviously there's no, there's no debate. If Georgia's not number one tomorrow, it is rigged like completely. Uh, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason that they're not number one. Number two, I've got Michigan. I've got Michigan up at number two. Uh, they did bounce back in that second half against Rutgers. I think they played a good, um, a good second half. And I think overall they've probably been the second best team consistency wise all year. Um, Number three is Ohio state. I have Ohio state sitting in three. They drop from the two position after their, their struggle went against Northwestern. I've got to see more out of CJ Stroud. I don't think this team is ever going to be the offensive team that we thought they were going to be. If Jackson Smith and Jigba doesn't completely get off of that snap count that he's on right now. And number four, I've got TCU. I agree with you. I think TCU has been really good, but I, I don't, uh, they've got a tough game against Texas coming up this week. I've been very high on TCU, but tough game against Texas and then back to back against uh, Baylor. So they've got, they've got some tough weeks ahead of them. As of right now, they're still in, you're undefeated. You're going to be in. You keep, if TCU keeps winning, you can't keep them out of the playoff. Um, Number five is Tennessee and number six is Oregon. I agree with what you were saying about those two. Um, my last two in at that, or my my first two out, I guess, would be Tennessee and Oregon. My next two out would be LSU at seven and USC at eight. 
I don't yeah. think Clemson or Alabama stay in the top eight after what they did this week. Um, but the Pac-12 is going to work itself out. They all play each other in two weeks. And another thing about TCU is they actually have the number two hardest uh, strength of schedule remaining. Yes, yeah. because they've got Texas on the road, they've got Baylor on the road, and then they've got uh, one more Big Twelve game to end the season. Who's their so, rival? Um, but they they've got three tough games coming up. The the, the second hardest strength of schedule remaining. So we're going to see. You know, are are they the real deal or not? Iowa State is their last game, and then kind of piggybacking off Oregon, and, and we'll just we'll just briefly mention this because there's not really been a whole lot more to it. Nate, Nathan close Dean, ears. you're watching, and close you might. Ears. You, you might not want to hear this, but Sports Illustrator reported this morning that Auburn and Dan Lanning have mutual interest in one another. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to leave uh, Oregon and go to Auburn, um, but it's interesting that they would even report that, that there is mutual interest on both sides. Uh, Dan Lanning returning to the SEC. And poor Oregon, you just can't keep a good coach. Willie Taggart all over again, <laughs> one year and then leaving. <laughs> Oh gosh, it's gonna Willie, kill me for saying that. Name. Willie Taggart I'm, was was absolutely atrocious, though, like atrocious. But um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. If Dan Lanning comes back to the SEC, man, that's gonna be that's gonna be another really good coach. <laughs> yes, we don't we don't like Auburn either, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm just I'm just giving the news. I'm just giving right, what I right, saw right, right. reported this morning. All right, so let's get into our picks. We, we've been talking for a long time about other stuff. Let's, let's get into our picks for this week. No First, movement between me and you. Right. Um, Cody had a historically bad week this week. He only yeah. got two out of a possible 12 points. The state of North Carolina are the only ones that gave him points. Wow. North Carolina and North Carolina State, the only two teams that won that he picked. He picked a game um, against us and still finished with two points. Yeah. Yeah, and... He he just had a really bad one. Start so, picking Georgia, Cody. Um, so I've got seventy four. Mitchell's got sixty seven. Cody's got sixty. For those that are listening on the podcast, um, but the first game, the LSU Tigers travel to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Arkansas just had a heartbreaking loss to Liberty. Um, who do you got in this game? I've got LSU. I think LSU is a complete team. They're playing their best football of the season right now. They've gotten better every single week. And Arkansas just doesn't look good. Give me LSU pretty handedly. Yeah, I'm taking LSU in this game. Um, they're just getting better every single week. They look like they 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 look like the best team in the West right now. Um, yeah, I I think they win this game easily. I don't really know what's going on with Arkansas. Um, they just kind of fell off the table. Um, but but it's Arkansas. So it's Arkansas. Cody is also picking LSU. So that's a clean sweep there. Purdue. Goes on the road to play Illinois this week. We don't have to mention this game I'm that much. I'm not picking Purdue. I'm picking Illinois. Purdue yeah. made Iowa look elite last week. Yeah, I'm not picking I mean, Purdue. Spencer Petrus threw for over 200 yards and had like three touchdowns in that game. Anybody that does that against Iowa, um, you don't deserve to ever get picked. So I'm picking Illinois. I know they just they just lost a a, a bad a bad loss to Michigan State, but no way am I picking Purdue. More passing yards, more rushing yards, better third down, con- uh, better down, better third down conversion rate against Michigan State, and still lost that game. All that being said, I'm still picking Illinois because Purdue sucks. Yes, and Cody's also going with Illinois. Kansas goes on the road to play Texas Tech. Kansas has been my cash cow, my golden goose this year, and you know what? 
I'm picking him again against Texas Tech on the road. Jason Bean has actually been very impressive. I still don't know what the status is with Jalen Daniels. They, they are not officially declaring him out for the year. I know there was that one article that came out, but Kansas is not declaring him out for the year. Don't know when he's going to come back, but Jason Bean's been playing well. And Texas Tech, they're just too streaky, too inconsistent for me. Give me the Jayhawks. Yeah, what is Texas Tech? Like, what is Texas Tech? Like, we don't, we don't know. Um, I've picked against Kansas too many times this year. I'm not doing it again. Give me Kansas. All right. Uh, and Cody is also picking Kansas. So he, we're, he's we not trying to gain any points. He's done. Yeah. All right. Kansas State at Baylor. Uh, this is a big game. Kansas State, who knows what this team is, man. They, they look like world beaters one week, and then they can't even beat Tulane, and then they can't even beat um, uh, Texas, who has been struggling this year. They're going on the road to Baylor, but I'm still picking Kansas State. And here's the reason why I'm picking Kansas State, because I think after what happened last week, they're going to go with Will Howard in this team. This offense is way better when Will Howard's in the game. Um, and so I, I'm picking Kansas State because I think Will Howard's going to start. They're going to be able to push the ball downfield. Baylor's looked too inconsistent this year. I'm I'm picking the the Wildcats. Yeah, I agree with Nate. Who knows what this conference is? <laughs> uh, neither and Baylor's playing better football right now than they did in the beginning of the year. Baylor's at home. I'm going to take Baylor in this game. All right, Cody is going with Kansas State in this game. All right, Iowa State travels to Oklahoma this State. Is too many Big Twelve games. I know, but. I look, I only pick games that have close lines. I don't like to pick games that, you know, somebody's a 30 point favorite. That's boring. Okay. So I like to pick games that have close lines. Iowa right. State travels to Oklahoma State. Look, I said last week that I'm not picking Oklahoma State anymore. Pick them. Um, but I'm going to pick them this week because uh, Iowa State is just not good. Um, and their, their quarterback plays not well. They can't score a lot of points. Um, and Oklahoma State has not lost a game at home this year. They're playing at home. I'm going to take the Cowboys, and they're probably going to make me regret it, but it is what it is. Uh, I'm going to pick the Cowboys again, too. I hate it. hate it. All right, Cody's also going to go with the Cowboys. All right, Louisville at Clemson. Now, I analyzed the crud out of this game because literally it's a coin flip for me, so I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to pick Clemson because Clemson's at home. I think they're going to start. I think they're going to start um, Cade Klubnick. I think he's going to have a good game. Louisville's defense I don't, uh, has, hasn't been the best. They've, they've, they've gotten better. But, I mean, a couple of their wins have, 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 looked, have looked good. Dominating win against who? Syracuse? No, Wake Forest. Um, yes. Against Wake Forest. And then, but I, I think Clemson's going to bounce back. I don't think Clemson loses two in a row. I actually let you go first because I just wanted to pick whatever the opposite was of, of you because I could not decide who to pick in this game. So I'm picking Louisville. Um, Malik Willis has looked at Malik Willis. Cunningham. Has gotten, Cunningham. Malik, Malik Willis. Malik Cunningham has gotten better every week. The Louisville defense has gotten better every week. They're playing lights out right now. Clemson is trending down. Louisville is trending up. I was high on Louisville before the season started. I think that streak has got to come to an end sometime. I think Louisville ends the streak of, of, of consecutive wins at Death Valley. Give me the Cardinals. Wow. All right, okay. and Cody's also going to go with Clemson. All right, UCF travels to Tulane. This is another game that I had a hard time really deciding who to pick. 
uh, because uh, John Rice Plumley is not starting. He lost the starting job two weeks ago, apparently. Mikey Keene is the starter. He's actually been playing pretty well. But I love this Willie Fritz coach uh, Tulane team. Um, I think they're, they're gritty. They play hard-nosed football. And just because they're at home, I'm picking the green wave. Same. I thought we might go the different direction in this game, but I, I think Tulane being at home, um, the, the state of Louisiana is crazy no matter where you play. Um, and I think this team really wants to make a New Year's Six Bowl. This is the best opportunity they're going to have. Give me Tulane. All right. It's a clean sweep again. Cody's also going with the green wave. UNC travels to Wake Forest. What in the world happened to the Demon Deacons? Sam Hartman, the last two weeks, has thrown six interceptions in two games. He has not looked good. He's forcing the ball downfield when he doesn't need to. And I think that their season is just completely derailed at this point. Drake Mays, the better quarterback. That's why I'm picking UNC to win this game. More like Sam Fartman because they've been poopy. Um, um, sorry, sorry. Um, I'm going to pick UNC. I'm higher on UNC right now. And look, I mean, UNC keeps winning. You got to consider them. They keep winning. You got to consider yeah. them. And if look, they win the ACC loss, title. You really got to consider them. Their loss doesn't look as bad anymore. Their right. only losses to Notre Dame. Yeah, who beat Clemson? Who beat so, Clemson? All right, and Cody is also picking UNC. So there's not going to be really much chance for Cody to pick up a lot of points this week. And Unless he's, his he's, bold prediction hits. He's far behind. Yeah. Um, TCU goes to Texas this week. Mm. This is where college game day goes this week. Um, so this is an interesting one. I'm going to go with Texas. I'm picking the Longhorns to win this game. Um, Texas has only lost one game at home, and arguably they should have won that game had Quinn Ewers stayed healthy. Quinn Ewers plays a lot different in front of in, in Austin than he does anywhere else. TCU, look, they've had a great run. They're a great story. But as Jake Crane says, Hansel and Gretel's a great story too, but all stories come to an end. I think that ends this week. Give me the Longhorns to pull off the upset. I'm going to go the other direction. I believe in TCU. They've won close games all year. I think Jamie Cheek made a really good point on the show last night. Texas has had a track record of building leads and blowing them. TCU has had track record of falling behind and coming back. So I think TCU is going to win this game. It's going to be a statement win for Sonny Dykes, and I think it's going to put him on the fast track um, to the Big 12 championship in the college football playoff. Here's my key to why Texas wins this game. Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson knows that roster better than anybody else, and he's on the Texas sideline not on TCU. That's, that's the difference in this game. Gary Patterson wins the game for Texas. I like it. All right. Alabama, our game of the week, Alabama travels to Ole Miss. I was also back and forth on this one, uh, but I'm going to let you go first. I got to stick with it, dude. I'm picking Ole Miss. Alabama can't play, does not play good on the road. Ole Miss has got a formula to beat them, in my opinion. I think if there was any year for them, for Lane Kiffin to get a win, over Nick Saban and be this year. This team has unfixable mistakes. I've said it every single week that Alabama's had a marquee game. They have unfixable mistakes. I don't think they're going to be able to, to stop committing penalties. They're going to put yes. themselves in second and 15, second and 15, third and eight. Bryce Young looks legitimately uncomfortable against LSU at times. Yeah. And Ole Miss is going to be able to look and see what teams have done to them, run the ball, pound the rock, Jackson Dart's going to make enough plays. 
and Ole Miss is going to hand Alabama their third loss. Yeah. I've got, uh, you know, like I said, I went back and forth on this game. I think it's going to be a close competitive game. Um, you know, Ole Miss has two really good running backs. They run the ball very well. Do you know their names? Um, Jud Judkins, Judkins, Quinshawn Judkins, and Zach Evans. Yeah, Zach Evans, former Georgia um, recruit. That boy, but good. Quinshawn Judkins is their main back. Yeah. And he has been phenomenal this year. Uh, Jackson Dart's been kind of shaky, but you can always trust a uh, Lane Kiffin offense. He's an offensive genius. You, you better believe he's going to watch what Tennessee did against them, and he's going to watch what LSU did against them, and he's going to put kind of his own flair on it. He's going to uh, do kind of the same similar things. What worries me about this game for Ole Miss, though, is that Auburn hasn't struggled to stop the run, and that's what they do best. They Alabama struggle to has stop a, the pass. Alabama, Alabama, has yeah. Alabama has Auburn. a struggle to stop the run. Yeah. But Alabama has struggled to stop the pass, and the Ole Miss is not near as dominant passing the football this year. So I'm a little worried about that, but I'm not letting you gain a point on me again. I'm going with the Rebels as well. Give me the Ooh. Rebels to win this game at home. Um, that was because strategic on every your time yeah. we pick differently with Alabama, you gain a point on me. I'm not doing it again this I've week. I've been right about Alabama a whole lot this year. I know you have. And you know what? It might come back and bite me in the butt this week, but at least I won't lose a point. So give me the rest. At least I won't lose win. a point at this point. Go, dude. Now I have no, <laughs> now, yeah. Come on. Yeah. I mean, and look, you're, you're right. They do not play well on the road. Bryce Young looked uncomfortable last week because they held him out of practice. He didn't practice last week because they're trying to get him healed up, and it showed. You can tell he didn't have any practice time because he did not look comfortable in the pocket. So I'm going to pick the Rebels. Cody's going to pick Alabama. All right, let's go to our Cousins Choice and Bold Predictions to close out the show. Cody's Bold Prediction this week, Virginia Tech covers the 10.5-point spread against Duke. That's a bold one. Virginia Tech is awful. Their offense is awful. And Duke is very well coached, so that is bold. Um, we'll see if it pays off for him. My cousin's choice for you this week, Rutgers travels to Michigan State. They are 10 point Rutgers is 10 point underdogs. What you got? Frick you for this one. <laughs> Second um, time I've made you pick a Rutgers game. Rutgers. Dude, like I don't care. I mean, Michigan, Michigan State had a very impressive win. Despite the circumstances. They must have suspended the right people. Right. Um, they must have suspended the right people. I'm going to take Michigan State cover. I think Michigan State covers. Okay. All righty. Your, your cousin's choice. Florida is an eight-point favorite versus South Carolina. What do you got? You're muted. You said they're eight-point underdogs? They're eight-point favorites. Eight-point favorites. Um. South Carolina's looked really bad the last couple of weeks. I'm going to go with the better quarterback, but I think it's going to be close. Give me South Carolina to cover, but not win. There you go. Well, that, uh, that, that wraps up another episode of the official review. I hope you guys have enjoyed these, these live episodes since we've moved on to the live stream format. Um, this will be live on the uh, podcast network as well, probably as soon as tomorrow morning, if we can get it out. Um, it, um, but who knows when it's going to be live. Whenever you listen to if you're listening to it post-recording, we thank you. If you guys were here live, thank you, Nate. Um, we've had one more viewer here as well uh, popping in and out. We thank you all. Next week's going to be a great episode. 
Uh, we'll be we'll be announcing the time. Probably going to be later, uh, a later live stream next week. But guys, just be on the lookout. Bigger things coming. Um, thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Um, um, just keep supporting us. Keep subscribing, liking the liking the YouTube channel. Uh, leave comments on the streams. Let us know what you want to see. Uh, TikTok, we are going to try to be more active on Podcast Network. Give us five star review. All that good stuff. Uh, we enjoy doing the show. It's it's been a year now, which is crazy. Where yes. I'm, we're still figuring stuff out. Um, we're, every single week, we're going to be figuring stuff out, trying to make it better for y'all. But anyways, I'll stop blabbering. You guys have listened to me and Zach for an hour and twenty minutes. I've been Mitchell Graham. That's Zach Brown. Peace out, guys. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Official Review. Before you go, I just wanted to give you a couple ways that you can stay connected with the show. First is our email, mgzbsportsnetwork at gmail.com. With this email, you can stay connected, ask us questions that we will answer on the show. Also, if you want to follow us on TikTok under the same name, we post very, very frequently about everything that's happening. And also, if you just want to check Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts Thursday morning at 8 a.m. for every single episode of the official review. Thank you, and we love you. Peace.